here with us that night, okay? Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 27 as we're continuing to walk through the Psalms uh, this summer. We'll be in Psalm 27. Psalm 27 is um, a psalm about fear and anxiety, two fun concepts that we all wanted to get together and talk about today. Fear and anxiety. It's been said that in Scripture, the Bible says um, right around 365 times, I have not counted them, um, but somebody has, and uh, it says right around 365 times, it says, don't be afraid. That somewhere in Scripture, it tells us, don't be afraid, 365 times. Now, on the positive side, that means that every day that I get up and, and I'm afraid, there's something that Scripture says about that day, don't be afraid. 365 times, 365 days a year, there's something that it says. So there's something that's, that's encouraging about that, uh, that reinforces um, the, the fear and the anxiety, the idea that we have fear and anxiety and that we shouldn't be afraid of those things. But the reality of the, of the matter is, is that there's a lot to be afraid of, it seems like, in this world, right? It seems like there's a whole lot to have anxiety about, right, and stress um, about in this world. But that, so there's a lot to fear. I, so I guess I see it in two ways. There's 365 reminders to not be afraid, but that also means that I need to hear it 365 times, you know, because I wake up with some maybe new fears almost every day, you know, new source of anxiety. So you, you have Hawaii, which seems to be exploding in a fiery ball. It's going to sink into the ocean or something, and I haven't even been there yet. Um, California might fall off into the ocean, which may not be such a bad deal. Um, flooding in Houston, um, antibiotic-resistant strains of diseases, anything that happens inside the Beltway, Washington, D.C., immigration problems, water wars, the, the Kardashians are famous for something. There's lots and lots and lots of things to be afraid of, it seems like, in this world. And sometimes when we're afraid, we will sing a song. And maybe especially I can think of you know, when our kids were little, um, and singing a song to them that might calm us down a little bit. We would find music or something that would calm us and reassure us. And when we're in a season of fear, sometimes we sing a song just to kind of escape, just to break out of, man, everything's a downer right now and everything makes me afraid right now. So we just have some song that kind of lifts us up um, out of that. In 1998, a, a movie came out called Stepmom, Susan Sarandon, Julia Roberts, Ed Nielsen um, were all in it. And Jackie, uh, this, the main character, one of the main characters, uh, finds out that she has uh, incurable lymphoma. And her and her husband have been through a divorce. She has two smaller children. Uh, and she's afraid. The movie is about the, the fear um, that she has in regards to not seeing her children grow up, um, to not being there for them when they need her. Um, when they go through difficult times, and who's going to take care of them? And she's angry um, about that fact also. So there's the scene, I want to play it for, it's about a minute and a half long, um, where she has, the night before, she's told her kids about her diagnosis. She'd been keeping it from them. And she finally comes clean with them and tells her children uh, about her diagnosis and the fact that she is not going to make it. And now they're afraid. Um, they're afraid that mom's not going to be there. And what are they going to do? And how are they going to make it through the day? Um, so she, as a good mom, knows that she needs an escape. She knows that her, ch her children need an escape. Um, and so maybe a little bit of joy in the middle of their fear. So she plays a song for them. Would you guys hit that for me? We're looking for somebody to do backup with us. Right, Marvin? Yeah, Jamie. Listen, baby. Oh. Ain't no mountain high.
Sometimes we need a song, right? A song to sing to our hearts when life is falling apart and uh, we need joy. And sometimes we need music and songs can only do that. Um, so the psalm, the psalm that we're going to look at today is a psalm that can help us do that. When we're facing fear, when we feel like there's no hope, when we feel like there's no way out, this psalm that we're going to look at today is a song that we can sing to our hearts to remind us about God and who God is. And I do want to be clear about this. And we don't have time to just kill this today. Um, but you know what, guys? I think that, that we have more fear and anxiety and stress than any of us are willing to really talk about. I think if, we're, if there's a place, if there's a time where we could really, really be honest with each other, that we are kind of racked and ruled by a lot of fear and a lot of tension and a lot of anxiety about the past or about the future or about children or about parents or about whatever situation that we seem to find ourselves in. Um, in the middle of that fear, man, fear is a powerful motivator. And in the middle of that fear, we get ugly pretty quickly. Um, we start pointing fingers at everybody else, blaming everybody else. We get embarrassed. We get frustrated. We can feel deeply unfulfilled and we live, we are ruled many times by fear and anxiety and by trouble. Psalm 27 is a song that we can sing to our, our hearts and to our souls when fear kind of closes in on us and it kind of crushes the breath out of us. This is a song that we can kind of sing to ourselves. So we talked about this when we were in uh, Corinthians that right belief leads to right action. I would also say, along with that, that right belief leads to right responses. Not just that I, I can believe something and then before something even happens to me, I can choose to, to uh, act the right way. But when I believe rightly, I call them knee-jerk reactions, the, the, the reactions that you have that are not thought out. You know what I'm saying? I have certain responses that I have time to think about. There's other things that happen to me, and I don't have any time to think about it. There's going to be a knee-jerk response, right? I can, I can have a right belief that leads to those knee-jerk reactions being just as right as the ones that I've had time to think about. And isn't that the great saving grace good news of the gospel? Not that just that it changes the way that I have time to think about stuff and I plan out my future and how I'm going to respond to something, but when I don't have time to think. When something happens in the spur of the moment, and I can bring God honor with my words, or I can bring God dishonor with my words, something in me has changed, and my responses are different. My knee-jerk reactions are different to things. So Psalm 27 is one of those songs that's going to speak into that, change our beliefs so that our reactions and our responses are different. I think one of the awesome things about the Psalms is that they're very raw, and they're very honest. Matter of fact, I think I was talking with, with Jimmy this week about some things, and, you know, there are several psalms that don't have any resolution. They just end with, this is awful. God, I don't even think you're listening to me. God, why, why aren't you doing anything? I mean, there are several psalms that just kind of land in that place. That's where they end. And I think that's one of the things about the psalms that makes them very attractive to us, you know, while we relate to them so well, because they're very, very realistic um, reactions to a painful world that we live in a hard world, we live in a troubled world, we live in a world that brings pain to us. I looked up this week, I googled how to handle stress. Just googled that phrase, how to handle stress. In 0.45 seconds, I got 360 million hits. Do you think we have stress? Do you think we have things that are bringing fear into our lives and trouble into our lives? Less than half a second, I got 360 million hits. One of those hits was this, Dr. Susan Love. Um, she's a professor at Geffen School of Medicine, University of California. Um, she did a study on, and this is just funny, she did a study on women who are trying to lose weight. And the anxiety that women have over this issue, right? Not just in that I want to lose weight and maybe I'm struggling with it, but everything associated with it, Okay. And she just did this years-long study about that, and she was talking to the uh, New York Times, and she said that um, women often feel pressure to follow all the rules, and if they don't, they feel like they're a failure. Even though they may have lost 10 pounds, they feel like because they had a bonbon on Tuesday that they failed, right? 
And so there's this pressure that comes with even success in the weight loss process for these ladies. So she said to them, she said, first of all, I, need to, I tell ladies that it's impossible to be perfect. It's impossible to have perfect health. It's, it's not possible. It's impossible to have a perfect physical appearance or physical physicality, whatever it is. It's not possible. Stop making that your goal, right? We're aiming at the wrong thing, which introduces stress and pressure and fear into our lives. So she said, quit aiming at those things. And she said, you're actually probably a lot healthier than you realize that you are. She said, she asked this question. She goes, is the goal of life to live forever? I would contend that it's not. Really, the goal of life is to live as long as you can with the best quality of life that you can. The problem was that all these women I kept meeting who were scared to death that if they didn't eat a cup of blueberries a day, they would drop dead. <laughs> and there's this unrealistic pressure we put on ourselves because we're, we've made our one thing, which we'll talk about. It. We've made the one thing we're aiming at the wrong thing. There's a lot of fear associated with that if we don't do it perfectly. So at some point or another, her, Susan Loves, this doctor at University of California, her advice to women was this, try not to think too much about it. When you're afraid, just try not to think too much about it. Live to enjoy life and don't let the things that cause stress and worry consume you. Envision a better world and live for that. Well, that's not very helpful. <laughs> you know, here's this doctorate, this lady with the doctorate who's telling me that's the best that I can do is just kind of pretend like it's really not scary and live for something else that's less scary and envision this world and sort of positive think my way out of it. I don't know exactly what the encouragement there was, what the, the, the uh, help there was. But that's sort of the best that the world sort of has to offer us a lot of times. And thank God that's not the biblical plan. I don't think that's the biblical plan for dealing with fear. I think scripture has a lot to say to us uh, about dealing with fear. God knows. He knows that really difficult, truly difficult, painful, scary times are coming our way. And he doesn't want us to just get lost in the grip of fear. He doesn't want us to be ruled by fear and by anxiety. God wants us to have a plan and a strategy for those times that are really, truly frightening. And yes, he's with us. And yes, um, he comes to us with every resource, but I think there are some things that, that we contribute to this process. Like, what can I do, Lord, when I am uh, engulfed by these things that cause me fear and it seems like there's no way out and it's pressing the breath out of my chest? What can I do? How, how can I respond? What can I believe rightly during that time? How can we plan for that occasion? So let's look at Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3. We could spend hours in Psalm 27. It's fantastic. Um, I'm going to do my best not to spend hours in the psalm, um, but we could. We're only going to really look at verses 1 through 4 um, and then a little bit at the end because that's really what we have time for today as we look at kind of God's plan for us in fear. So the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. That's a pretty strong declaration, right? When we read these verses. Now, David is faced with a very different set of circumstances. The things that are bringing him fear and stress and anxiety and worry, the things that are causing him trouble are very different than you and I because he actually faced armies. We use that symbolically. We read these verses and we're like, oh, my enemy is coming against me with arrows and swords, and we don't have enemies with arrows and swords. He did. So when he writes about that, he means it literally that my enemies are coming against me to kill me. My enemies are coming against me to take everything that I own, everybody that I love, and everything they own away from me. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about uh, real enemies here. We face our own set of kind of horrifying realities about life. Absentee or abusive parents, addictions, financial stresses, illnesses. And we looked at it a little bit last week that if our enemy... Satan, evil ones, the, the, the devil, devils, demons, whatever, if they're not just directly behind 
every single attack, if I can't blame all evil on a direct attack from a demonic creature or Satan himself, we can be sure, you can be confident that he is in the mix, ready to use that opportunity to bring fear to you, to attack you, and to destroy you, okay? So we have enemies coming at us from all different directions. You have the spiritual enemy who's coming against us. And again, if he's not behind every stub toe or every flat tire that I experience in life, if he's not behind it, he'll use it. So he's coming behind all these things to attack me. Then I've got life circumstances happening to me. Then I may have somebody who just doesn't like me very much, and they're coming after me too, right? So we have all these enemies who are kind of coming around us. And in this text, it talks about fear and dread and trouble and fear, all those kinds of things. Evildoers, adversaries, enemies, false witnesses, David's going to talk about. Days of trouble. All these things are coming against us. And look at verse 3, because I think it's so powerful what he says there in verse 3 he says in the middle of all that i will be confident in the middle of all those attacks in the middle of all my enemies coming against me i will be confident now here's what i'd like to say and i've, I've said this before but i'll say it again here i think that idea this this biblical idea of being confident when the enemy comes and when fear begins to kind of rise up inside of our our hearts and our souls we say to ourselves, we say to the Lord, we say to our enemies, I'm going to be confident during this time. I think that that's both like an emotional state or a spiritual state, a mental state of mind, but it's also a determined response. That person is saying, I will not be ruled by fear. I will not make decisions based on fear. I will not make choices based on what I'm afraid of. I'm not going to let fear rule my life. I will be confident, right? even in the middle of all these attacks and all these enemies that are coming after me. So verse 4, I think, begins to kind of lay out the plan a, a little bit for us. What is the way? How can I say that? How can I be in the middle of that time and say, I, I will be confident, right? Look at verse 4 again. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So here we go. The three big things that David lays out for us, just in verse four, is this that we would seek and we would behold and we would dwell. For the word behold, maybe you prefer the word gaze, and that's fine. But the words that we have here in this in this version of, of the, the Bible would be seek and behold and dwell. Those are God's big three ideas for us when we face fear. So here we go. We're going to just break those things down. Seek. We have turned the idea of seeking God into a purely emotional experience. We, we've turned this idea of I'm going to go after God really hard into this ooey-gooey, God makes me feel good kind of an idea. And that's really not the totality of what Scripture tells us it's about, Okay. So we'll just talk about it real quickly. What does this mean? To seek the Lord. That's there, right? When I'm lost and I'm hurting and I'm afraid, I want to know that God is near me. I want to seek my heavenly father and, and really kind of have him hold my hand and let me sit in his lap and call him dad and tell him about my troubles. I want that. I want to seek him and find him like that. But that word for seek, it also has this idea of good counsel and wisdom. So not only do I want to know that emotionally God is near me, I also want to know, God, what are you saying to me? I want to seek you because I want to know your heart even during this time, even during the time of fear, even during the time of, of, of people or things coming to crush me and to attack me. I want to know what you're saying to me. So when I'm afraid and when it seems like I'm just going to be beaten down by my enemies, I got to go to God, not just for comfort, but for guidance and counsel and wisdom. Why? Why is that so important that I would go to God when I'm afraid for his counsel and his guidance and his wisdom? Because I don't want to use my pain or my disappointment or my fear as an excuse to sin. Now, if you started drawing the lines and connecting the dots in your own life between these events, that fear comes pain comes, disappointment comes, stress and anxiety come, and that becomes the reason why I do, why I sin, 
See, because I've run to the wrong thing for counsel, guidance, and wisdom in my fear. So I want to seek the Lord. What is one of the keys to not being ruled by fear? That when fear comes, I want to go seek the Lord. Comfort me, God. This is awful, and I don't like it, and I want you to change this, but counsel me. Teach me during this time. Guide me during this time so I don't use my sin as an excuse. I mean, my, my pain as an excuse to sin. Amen? That's a big one, I think, right there. One of the reasons we're ruled by fear is because we slip into sin pretty easily and we blame that event or that person or whatever it is that's causing us to be afraid because we're not running to the right thing. We're running to something else. So are you running to God right now? Some of us are in pain now. We're in fear right now. Where are you running for guidance, counsel, and wisdom? Maybe we should take the other step back and ask, where are you running for comfort? When you're afraid, when you're eaten up by fear and it's pressing the breath out of you, where are you running for comfort and guidance and wisdom? So we're going to seek the Lord. Secondly, he says, behold, right? That's the next thing he says, so that I may dwell in the house of the Lord or seek the Lord, and that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, this is the one that I read. This is me personally. And I was like, that, does, that doesn't help me at all, <laughs> right? You know, is it like God's going, behold, the Lord. And I'm like, that doesn't help me, God, you know? Like, what am I supposed to do with that? So when God says that, to behold the Lord, how does that help me? This is where a lot of our praise, modern praise and worship music, I think, can sometimes kind of help us because there's a, a lot of songs that, that have this idea about beholding the Lord. When, when Pastor Jimmy quoted this verse earlier, he used the word gaze, and that's a really good word to use there. And that I would gaze on the, uh, the presence of the Lord or the person of the Lord. What does that word mean, gaze or behold? It means to see something deep in your heart. To stare at something and appreciate the beauty of something. That's what this means. To behold the Lord, to gaze on the Lord. This is not a foreign concept, okay? We do this with art. There are certain pictures of art that are just Beautiful. Mindy's dad had a picture from the guy, the painter of light, Thomas Kincaid, and he had, he had a light on it so that even at nighttime it would be lit up. And I don't know how that guy painted, but from within his pictures, it looked like light was emanating from inside the portrait that he had painted. And you could find yourself staring at it and being kind of in awe of what this man had done, right? So we understand it with art or a sunset or the ocean's wave, or the face of a baby. We understand what it means to gaze and to behold the beauty of something, to be in awe of it. So it's this idea that I'm going to investigate. So some of our men are like, dude, I don't gaze at anything, man, right? I don't, that's, that's girly. All right, here we go. It also has this idea that you would investigate with your mind to understand something completely. So can you do that, guys? If gazing at art doesn't help you, can you think about, I'm going to go dig into this person of God, I'm going to investigate him completely so that my mind comprehends it completely as much as I can. To gaze at the person of the Lord, right? I think that you see this reflected in other places in Scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If that's not what he's telling me to do there, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to love him with everything that I am, I don't know what that means. You shall have no other gods before me, one of the Ten Commandments. If that's not God saying, I am more amazing and beautiful and satisfying than anything else you can set your heart's attention on, so don't put anything in front of me. Gaze at me. Behold me. We talked last week, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. This is that knowing God, not just knowing about him. It's this idea that we stretch out with the eyes of our hearts and the hands of our hearts, and we say, God, I want to see you, and I want to know you. And if you know worship music, there's a song, and I think Hillsong's taken it and changed it a little bit. And it says this, in the secret, in the quiet place, in the stillness, you are there. In the secret, in the quiet hour, I wait only for you, because I want to know you more. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. I want to touch you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. I am reaching for the highest goal that I might receive the prize 
pressing onward, pushing every hindrance aside out of my way because I want to know you more. Gaze on the, on the presence of the Lord. Behold the presence of the Lord. Think on this hard. Some of you are in gripped in fear right now because of your health. You are being ruled by fear right now because of something with your children or your spouse. You're thinking about retirement and how you're not ready for that, but it's barreling down towards you, and you are afraid. Some of our students and our younger people are thinking about, man, am I going to make the team next year? Am I going to be accepted by my friends next year? Am I going to have success in these things that I put in front of me? And, and fear begins to raise you. Listen, we know what it means to gaze at something. We gaze at stuff all the time. We put things in front of our eyes all the time and go, look how beautiful that is. Retirement with the second house with a beach house. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. I can't wait to get there. You know what it means to gaze on things, don't you? Right? We know what that means to gaze at something. And God says, if you want to be ruled, if you don't want to be ruled by fear, gaze at me. Take your attention off of the thing that could cause you so much pain, loss, and disappointment and place your attention and your eyes on me. Behold me. That's what it means to behold something and not be ruled by fear, to know God and being caught up in his, in his beauty. Then it says to dwell in the presence of the Lord. And some of you are like, all right, Pastor Job, this is it. I am ready to move in. I've got my stuff out in the car. I can just like make this a little tent city and I can come sit in here with you guys and me and Jimmy and you and Wesley. We'll just be buddies and amigos and pals and we'll have s'mores together and we will dwell in the presence of the Lord. That is not what this means, okay? So what does it mean to come and to dwell in the presence of the Lord? It's not about a temple. It's not about the church. I want you to think about this close personal relationship with the Lord. So we're going to just strip this down to his, I can't make this any plainer. If you can't make this intellectual jump, quite frankly, this is not my problem. But I want to lay it out for you, okay? It's Tuesday at one o'clock in the afternoon. You finish your staff meetings. You're in the middle of a project. Your boss calls you with four other things to do, and he needs it by five o'clock that night. Will you dwell in the presence of the Lord? Will you be in a close, personal, intimate relationship with God there and then. Because if not, then I don't know what we're doing. Like, if that's not what Jesus is talking about through this entire thing, if that's not what God's telling us in this psalm, then what does any of it matter? If all of it ever is coming here singing songs, pitching tents, and dwelling in this place, what are we doing? What hope is there really for us at all? So it has to have something to do with this idea that I have this deep, intimate, personal relationship with God on my worst day, in my worst time, he's with me and I can have this intimacy with him that begins to strip away fear. That means I won't be ruled by fear. Tim Keller, author, pastor, likens it to this, and I'll talk, use Jimmy and the praise team again. So Jimmy and the praise team, they just sang up here, right? They just played, they just sang, they helped us worship, they led us in worship, all that kind of stuff. They did it with excellence, they did it with quality and talent, all that kind of stuff. And listen, we were in their presence, were we not? You were in the room, and you were in their presence. But we really weren't in their presence. The only way you're really in somebody's presence is when you're kind of face-to-face -face with them, when you're one-on-one -on -one with them. Then you're in their presence. You don't have a real relationship with them just because you sat here and listened to them sing or watched what they did or enjoyed the fruits of their labor, that doesn't mean you've got a relationship with anybody on stage. Some of us, this is our experience with God. God, you are magnificent, and you are amazing, and you are holy, and you are powerful, and I'm really enjoying seeing some of the stuff that you're doing, but I don't know if I've ever really been in your presence and have this deep, intimate, driving relationship with you that can strip away fear when I'm by myself and it presses the breath out of my chest. It has to be exceptionally intentional on our part, which we'll talk about that in just a little bit more. So what does any of this have to do with taking away my fear, alleviating the fear that I have? If I think that I'm going to lose my joy and my meaning and my satisfaction 
If my health goes away or my spouse goes away or my house goes away or my kids go away or my money goes away, then I will be terrified of losing those things. If I'm going to lose all the joy, meaning, and satisfaction in my life when stuff gets, leaves my life, I'm terrified that those things will leave my life, and I am ruled by fear. If I find the source of my joy in the Lord, even if I lose those things and I'm super sad and even afraid, I won't lose my source of life, meaning, and satisfaction just because those things are gone. When my enemies come and real instruments of pain and destruction come into my life, I can have a habit of loving and pursuing Jesus so that when those things come and they attack me, my hope will be secure because it's rooted in something else. Something above all that stuff. And you're like, wow, that's super Old Testament, Pastor Joe. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. If this is not what Jesus is talking about, I don't know what he's talking about. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in the, is, of you is in the darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. If he's not talking about, if Jesus isn't talking about, hey, some of you, you've, you've, you've staked everything on your children. You've staked everything on your spouse. You have bet the, the house against your, your, your happiness and life being in retirement. If, if Jesus is saying, if you're trusting and hoping in those things to bring you satisfaction and joy in life, what happens if they're removed from you? Your joy, satisfaction, and meaning in life have just gone out the window with them. So Jesus looks at us and he says, don't build your treasure here. Gaze, dwell, seek me. I am the one that brings you the joy, the satisfaction in life that you're looking for, not these things or these people. So I really think that that's exactly the way Christ is helping us to understand what David is trying to say to us here in this text. Fear will grip me when my one thing is in danger. What did he say? There's one thing I will ask for, right? All the days of my life, verse 4, one thing I have asked from the Lord, and this thing I will seek. One thing. That I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is your one thing? That is not a hypothetical question. If you have something you're writing with, or maybe your phone, if you can be honest, some of us can't be honest, so don't waste your time to be honest with you, okay? Some of us can be honest about this. If you had to write down your one thing, what is it? This is where my hope is. My hope is pinned on this. My only bet in life is that I'm going to get fullness of joy and satisfaction if this is true. What is it? Y'all, everybody has one, okay? You have one thing. What is it? If you know what it is, write it down, okay? What is your one thing? The one thing that you are seeking, you're actively seeking in life. And you're convinced that you have to have it in order to have happiness, significance, and meaning in life. What is it? What is the one thing that your heart craves? What is the one thing that you think would change your life? If I only had this, life would be different, better. What's the one thing that you look to for satisfaction, contentment, and peace? What is the one thing that you would mourn having to live life without? If it left you, it would crush you. What is the one thing that fills your daydreams and commands your sleepy meditations? What is your one thing? 
I would encourage you, if you have time, there's a PDF version of it online. Paul Tripp wrote a a series of devotionals called A Shelter in the Storm that came from Psalm 27. It's excellent. And those questions came directly out of that. What is your one thing? Listen, when your one thing is in danger, you will be gripped with fear. Do you understand that? If this thing or this person is stripped away from me, I'm a loser. I have nothing. And I have no hope that the future will probably ever be or get any better. This is my one thing. What is that? When your one thing is in danger, it will grip you in fear. If your one thing is God, then losing anything else in life, including even up to and beyond the point of death, None of those things will take away from you joy, meaning, and satisfaction in life. And here for a believer, here's what I want to encourage you with, right? If you think that, man, death is kind of the thing, that's the one thing that's going to just ruin me, right? Or if somebody were to, you know, that I love, they're my one thing. And if they go, I want you to understand this, man, that that's the point that you get to gaze into the face of Jesus, like for real. Do you understand that? That we've pinned our hopes on this world and we've pinned our hopes on this life, even as Christians. And I want to tell you, Psalm 27 becomes like a physical reality to you at that point. That you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and you will gaze on the face of your Savior forever. So even death, if God is your one thing, even death doesn't take that away. It opens up a whole new experience of God being your one thing at that point. Troubles and fear and enemies, all of these things are coming for us. And that's the other thing. Have you noticed that you don't generally go looking for these things? They come to you. You notice that? Some of us are dumb and we do dumb things and we put ourselves in bad positions. But generally speaking, this stuff just is like coming. That should remind you once again, this is a battlefield. This isn't home. This is a battlefield, guys. And our enemy is seeking to kill us and to destroy us and to steal from us. Always, always remember that. So these troubles and these pains and, and, and fear and all these things are always coming after us. But in verse 1, it says, but God is our light and he's our salvation. He's our defense and he's our hiding place. Part of our battle with fear is that we're just looking, I think we're looking at God kind of all wrong. We have a very upside down view of how this whole God thing is supposed to work. In Shanghai, China, right now, some of you ever gone online and ordered something and Alibaba fulfilled it. Anybody had uh, an online order through, you ever seen that? Alibaba. And I thought it was like a joke, so I wouldn't order from those places, but it's the real thing. In China, it is the largest online fulfiller of uh, ordered goods, and they're they're now going global. So it's like a legit thing. It's there, it's the uh, uh, Chinese version of Amazon. Think of it that way, okay? So Alibaba in China is already operating drones. Now, Amazon's gotten some... uh, licenses and copyrights going on for that to happen here. But in China, they're already using drones. And let's say you order something from Chick-fil-A Chinatown, whatever that looks like, you know. I don't know if that's really duck or something, but anyway, duck filet. So you're ordering Chick-fil-A and you don't want to drive across town because there's 13 million people that live in Shanghai, right? But you want your duck filet, right, to be with you. And so a drone comes and picks it up at the restaurant, flies it to a delivery driver who's within 10 minutes of your house, and they bring it to you. It's like heaven, right? A little bit of heaven right there, right? So Alibaba's doing this right now. They take small packages, food, and all that kind of stuff. They're cutting 20 to 30 minutes off their delivery time by doing this in China because Lord knows we need our stuff faster, right? Right? Not only do I have a lot of stuff, I want more stuff, and I need it right now. So use a drone to get it to me. So here, here's where I want to tie this in. What is the greatest offer of this psalm? Some of us are reading the psalm, and you're like, still not happening, Sanders. This is not helping. What is the greatest offer of this psalm? Now you're arguing with the Lord at this point, not me. You're arguing with the Holy Spirit. The greatest offer of this psalm is that in the face of our enemy and adversary and troubles and fears, here here you go, here's the answer, you ready? The Lord, the Lord, the beauty of the Lord, the face of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, wait for the Lord. This is the great offer of this psalm. You and I are like, wait a minute, you don't understand God, that's awesome, thank you so much. 
I need the Holy Spirit drone, you know, to just kind of fly over me right now and bring me some stuff. Thanks for the cross, you know, and Jesus and all that kind of stuff and me having a relationship with you. That's pretty cool. But really, God, right now, I need like a facelift. Would you just bring me enough money that I can get a facelift? Or some donuts? I'll just set it for some donuts, God. Bring me some donuts. Bring me something from my pantry. Bring me a smoking hot wife and kids who are amazing. God, if you'll just bring me these things right now, I'm, I'm so afraid I'm never going to have this stuff. If you would just send your little Holy Spirit drone and drop some of this stuff off in my life right now. Health. God, can I have health? Just give me health. Because if I just had health, if I just had some self-esteem, everything would be so much better, God. Here's what I want to tell you. All that stuff comes in the train of the glory of the Lord. There are good gifts he brings to his people, but the joy and the treasure of life is not that stuff that I have set my eye on. The thing that I have made my one thing is not the joy and the treasure of life. The joy and the treasure of life is God through Jesus Christ. And I have to get that through my thick skull. Not that God is ignorant of what I need, which I think is the assumption of many of us in this room. That because I don't have it, he must not understand. Right? Somehow he's ignorant of what I really need. And I think the whole time in his grace, he's withholding it so that you would cry out to him and see him as your greatest treasure. Now you can say that's a mean parent. I think it's wisdom. (laughs) I think it's grace that he doesn't give me everything that I think that I need. God looks at us and he says, listen, it is me that you're looking for. Don't turn me into your delivery boy. Don't turn me into the drone that brings you stuff when you ask for it as quickly as you can possibly get it with free shipping. Don't turn me into your Alibaba, Amazon delivery drone. It's me. I am what you're looking for. And when you run to me, instead of running to him or to her or happiness or things or food or busyness, or keeping your options open, when you don't run to those things, fear in your life will actually take a holiday. It'll take a back seat. It's still kind of there, but it doesn't rule you anymore. And it cannot rule your life when you understand that I am what you're needing. We live in a universe that is full of darkness, and the light of Jesus Christ is invasive And it shines in your darkness, right? That's what it says at the beginning. He is the light of my salvation. And one day that light's going to shine over all darkness. And it's in the process of doing that now. Salvation, that word for salvation is so awesome in verse 1. It means safety, deliverance, rescue. Here's what I can say with confidence. I rewrote this sentence several times. I think this is accurate, and I think it's, I'm going to say it with confidence, okay? He is either rescuing you right now from your circumstances or he is rescuing you permanently from the source of danger. Now, that sounds like a bummer, the second one does. That's only if your one thing is attached to this earth, if it's stapled somewhere on this dirty ground. That's a bummer. But I can tell you with confidence, he is either rescuing you from your, certain, your, your, your particular set of circumstances right now Or he's rescuing you from the source of danger permanently. Amen, guys. There should be a gigantic amen attached to that. Jimmy said, we just sang this. There will be a day when death is a memory. And we'll go, man, remember that? How crazy that was and how afraid of that we were? Amen. God is either rescuing you from your circumstances or he's rescuing you permanently from the source of danger. Amen. says that he is our defense, which means he is our stronghold. He's our place of safety. He is our fortress. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in another psalm. Here's what's awesome about all this. This is everything I've said to you is theologically true. But the other thing I want to tell you is that all these things in the psalm, what are there's 14 verses, total verses. It's experientially and personally true, personally true also. He says me, my, or I, personal pronouns, 36 times in 14 verses. My stronghold, my light, my shield, my hiding place. He will comfort me. He will guide me. I will wait on him and he will come to me. I will call to him and he will answer me. 
I will seek him and I will find him. Personal truth here. Theologically true, yes. Conceptually true, yes. But personally true and experientially true for us. Verse 14. Wait for the Lord. The rest of the message wasn't hard enough. Now he's telling me to wait. (laughs) Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Listen, some of us are in this extended season of waiting. And we get so impatient and fear grabs us because we've got something we have to have. We've convinced ourselves, if I've got this, I'll be whatever. We've convinced ourselves that's true. God says, not now. Wait. Not yet. We get impatient. We get fearful. We start grabbing, manipulating, forcing, right? God looks at us and he says, wait. Not, and this is the other thing. He doesn't say, wait on your spouse. Wait on your raise. Wait on your next house. Wait for the Lord. Because again, his answer to all of our heart's cries is me. Me. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the beauty of the Lord. Me. Wait for me. It's part of God's plan. Just as sure as preparing and doing and reaping, all those things are part of God's plans. Your waiting is not useless. Somebody needs to just be encouraged by that right now. You're waiting for something. This is not a wasted time in your life. God is doing something in you right now, and he's using the waiting just as surely as he's going to use the reaping later on. He's using this waiting time for you also. God is using this time to heighten your desires for him, sharpen your your desires and want for him, and allowing you to sharpen your faith and your perseverance. Some of us just need to learn how to get up and do it again today and get up and do it again tomorrow and get up and do it again the next day. There's a great lesson to that. And some of us have a hard time learning that. And waiting causes us to learn the value of getting up and being consistent in our character and in our work today and tomorrow until God does something. Amen? He's changing you right now. He's transforming your desires and your understanding. So many times, guys, God has gotten so much clearer in the waiting time than it was when I was having something. You know what I mean? When I'm enjoying something, I tend to figure more stuff out, I think, in the waiting than I do when I get, right? So he's changing your desires, your understanding, transforming your understanding so you can take the next step of faith. Think about this. What if you're praying for something? We talked about last, I'm praying some tiny little prayer. God, if I just had this. God's saying, wait, wait, wait. And he's building faith in you because you're praying for this and he's about to go, hey, I'll I'll give you this. And I need faith to take that step into whatever it is he's bringing to my life. So what if in your waiting period, he's just building faith in you so that when he brings you something awesome and amazing, bigger and greater than you can ever think or imagine, you're ready to take that step. Amen? So waiting is not wasted, right? Wait on the Lord. You could, I love this too, you could take that idea of wait, and it has the idea of staying with. So what if we just changed and said, hey, just stick with the Lord. Just stay with the Lord. Just stick with him during this time. Don't wander, right? Don't get lost. Don't go down to the cave with the kids from Thailand, you know, whatever the deal is there, right? Don't let that happen to you. Don't wander off. Stay with the Lord while you wait. Stick close to him during this time. This is, some of us are like, this is just mind games. It's word tricks. All I have to do is think differently or approach things differently, and things are going to work out better in my life. Here's where I would, uh, let me try to help you understand how this becomes very practical, okay? It's, it's allowing our minds and our hearts to surrender to truth. That's what we're talking about here. So I'll give you a, for instance, I'm going to tell you a story of two little kids who are learning how to ride their bike, Okay? Separated by years, one's a boy, one's a girl. The boy didn't believe, every, no matter how much his parents told him, bro, if we take these training wheels off, you're going to be okay. Just pedal, pedal and you'll go, right? Refused to believe it, didn't think he could stay upright on a bicycle. So as a compromise, his parents take off one of the training wheels. So he's literally riding for like a year 
you know, and having to compensate because everything wants to go to the right, okay? And he's leaning on one training wheel for a year because he just refuses to believe all his other little buddies flying by him, you know, and going over ramps and stuff like that. And he just, his little helmet on, because he refuses to take it off and to really believe what was true. The little girl sees other people, has ridden the bike with her parents or her, her dad, trusted what she was told, trusted the truth that she saw in other people and from her parents. And immediately, she gets to be like three and a half, says, take the training rules off, never looks back. Just gone. Now, there's several reasons why she's staying up. Do you realize, you know this? I didn't know this till this week. Science doesn't know why bicycles work. How crazy is that? They just do. It's like a bumblebee flying. We don't really know why, it just does, okay? There's several things that kind of contribute to the bicycle experience, but the actual reason why, it really kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. There's something called the gyroscopic effect. There's where your front wheel is placed on the bicycle. All that goes into it. Then the other thing that's crazy is that your brain is making tiny calculations and corrections second by second. I'm going to challenge you. Put a helmet on. I want to see video, David. So, Andrew, you're going to videotape your dad. Get a bicycle and get on and start going and then cross your arms and just see what happens, okay? It, it will, you will crash within seconds because your brain isn't wired to think like that. It's wired to think unconsciously second by second. If I pedal and I keep this going and I don't allow this shake to get too bad, I'll go straight. The little girl surrendered to truth. I don't know a better illustration of this, guys. The true truth is that if you will just get on the bike and pedal and go, you're going to stay up. The little boy surrendered to fear. This is what we're talking about here. This is what Psalm 27 is all about. Some of you refuse to believe what God has said about himself, what you see in other people and how they're walking in faith, and you just refuse to do it. So you're going to do it your way to maintain your safety, to make sure you get what you want, your one thing. You're going to fight to your last breath to make sure that that comes true for you. And the whole time, God is going, okay, the whole deal here is me. It's just me. I've got you. I've got this. Trust me. Surrender to that. Man, how much time do we spend just manipulating things, yelling at people, right? Coercing things to make sure I, my one thing comes true. And God says, first of all, your one thing is the wrong thing. Secondly, I've got you. Trust. Surrender to the truth. You guys bow your heads. Close your eyes. I'm going to get very, very practical with this. Really practical, okay? Some of you are in fear right now. You're afraid of something financial. You're afraid of something with your health. You're afraid of something with your children or your job or your future. And you are ruled by fear. I'm going to ask, if nobody's looking around, but what song are you singing to your soul right now? What song are you singing to your soul? You're afraid. God, is that man, is that young man ever going to come into my life? Is that young lady ever going to come into my life? Am I ever going to have that kind of relationship? Will my husband ever be this person? Will my spouse ever be this person? God, my kids are just, they're knucklehead crazy people. God, will they ever come back to you? Will they ever turn to you? God, I'm so afraid. I'm, I'm just racked by anxiety. I don't know how this is going to turn out. And it feels like I'm going to lose everything. And at nighttime when I lay down, it's really hard to take a deep breath. It's like fear is sitting on my chest, weighing me down. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through Psalm 27. I won't read it, but I'm going to go through it. I told you there's 36 places where David sort of says, I will be confident. And he talks about God and what God's going to do. If I run across something here and you're like, man, that's the one that I need. I need God to do that for me so that I'm not afraid, because I don't want to be ruled by fear. If I hit yours, 
in this scripture, I want you to just stand up and stay standing. I want to pray with you, okay? So nobody's looking around, moving around. Here we go. You ready? If this is yours, I want you to just stand up when I go there. The Lord is my light. God, I'm afraid of the darkness, and I need you to shine your light. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. He's my rescuer. God, I feel like I'm drowning, and I'm going down for the last time, and I'll never get out. Save me. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my defender. He's my fortress. God, I don't have anywhere else to hide. I want to hide in you because I'm afraid. Defend me. Be my defender. I need my enemies to fail. There are people who are seeking my harm. They're seeking to hurt me. They're seeking to take things from me. And God, I need you to cause my enemies to fail. There's a big declaration there, guys. Stand up and pray it to the Lord. When my, when my adversaries come and evildoers come, cause their feet to stumble and fall. I need to seek the Lord. I need to stretch out my arms and my hands and my eyes of my heart to really, really see him, to be in his presence, to dwell with him. I don't do that. I sing about him and I read about him, but I don't dwell. I don't seek him. I need that. God, I'm afraid. And I think some of my fear is that I don't spend time in your presence. So take away my fear, but God, draw me close to you. Conceal me in your hiding place. I feel exposed. Everything is sort of danger, danger, danger right now. And God, I need to hide. <laughs> I need you to conceal me, to protect me. God, be my rock. The ground under my feet feels like shifting sand. I can't get my footing, you know? I just can't stand firm. Be my rock. Be my steady ground. I don't want to be afraid anymore. I'm ruled by fear. Let me stand strong on the rock of Jesus. God, lift up my head. Like my shoulders feel heavy and my heart feels heavy. Lift up my head. Let me see you. Let me see the hope that you have for me. Let me see you win. I need victory here, God. Lift up my head. God, hear me. When I cry to you, hear me. It feels like you don't hear me right now, and I need you to hear me. I need to know that you're hearing me when I talk to you. God, would you let me know that? Because I'm really afraid. And it's even more fearful when I feel like you're not listening. God, would you hear me? Would you let me know you're hearing me? God, don't hide your face from me. Be my help. God, would you be my help? I don't have any other resources. I've got really nowhere else to turn. You're it. Be my help. Provide for me. God, don't abandon me. Don't forsaken me. Don't let me even feel like you've forgotten me. Remember me. Be my salvation. God, everybody's abandoned me. I need to know that you're with me. Can you just let me know that? Maybe there's not an answer. There's not a solution. There's nothing you're going to give me right now. But man, I need to know you're with me. Would you just let me know you're with me? I'm so afraid. I feel so alone. Be with me. God, lead me in a level path. 
I don't know which way to go. I don't know how to walk this road. I, I really don't. It, it seems so frightening, and the cliff, the drop-off is so steep. I don't know how to walk. God, would you lead me on a level path, a straight path, maybe narrow? I'm not asking for ease, but God, would you just smooth my path out in front of me, and I'll walk it in faith. But would you just walk me down this level path? Deliver me. Deliver me, God. I've got financial stresses, future stresses, and I don't understand how any of this is going to work out. I need your deliverance. I'm not even going to tell you how to do it. I'm done with that. Deliver me. God, let me see the goodness of the, of the Lord. Can I just see your goodness? I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid right now. Everything looks bad. Can I see your goodness? Show me your goodness, Lord. And then maybe you just want to say this. You need to stand up this morning and say, I will be confident in the Lord. I will wait on the Lord. Whatever it is he's going to bring to me, I will just wait. 